we went over to his apartment and um, I we walked in and I immediately his dog, he has a boxer, came running to the door and I walked in some more and I saw feet on, on the ground and um, walked in a little bit more and I saw him laying on the floor and he wasn't moving. And I was calling his name and I called his name again and I kneeled down next to him and I kept calling his name and I touched his hand and it was cold. Hey guys, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today I'm here with Sandra Rolden Pines, mental health first eater. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for um, inviting me. I'm so glad to be here and talk about this. So I connected with you through Instagram, through your page, Hope My Smile Make You Smile. And I would love to learn what inspired you to start that page. Well, what inspired me was um, back in uh, May of last year, May 17th, um, my son committed suicide. Um, It was really rough for me. I actually found him myself. Um, I, uh, went to his apartment and, uh, he wasn't answering the phone for me the day before. And I last seen him on May 15th and, um, he wasn't, he wasn't well and he wasn't well for a while. Um, he was struggling with depression and PTSD for a very, very, very long time. And, um, I was trying to get him some help, um, but he was very, he's struggling with that as well. I don't know whether it's because he was a guy and being at that age, he was 31. Um, I don't know what is it with with that, whether they don't like seeking help or what have you. Um, but he just kept saying that he was okay or that, you know, mom, I'm, I'll handle it, I'll handle it. And um, I seen him on the 15th and I gave him a big hug and, he just didn't seem right. And when I called him on Saturday, he wasn't answering the phone and he had just gotten back from a trip. Um, a week prior to that, his best friend's mother had passed. So he had just gotten back from Florida from seeing him and um, he wasn't answering. So I'm like, you know, well, maybe he's resting, you know, cause he drove all the way over there and all the way back. And um, I, called him on Saturday all day, nothing. My daughter called me and said, mommy, you know, I don't feel right. And I couldn't sleep for some reason. And I said, all right, well, let's just go see him. Let's just go see if everything's okay. You know, so we got up um, Sunday very early in the morning, like maybe about seven. And we went over to his apartment and um, I, we walked in and I immediately, his dog, he has a boxer, came running to the door. And I walked in some more and I saw feet on on the ground and um, walked in a little bit more and I saw him laying on the floor and he wasn't moving. And I was calling his name and I called his name again and I kneeled down next to him and I kept calling his name and I touched his hand and it was cold. And I put my hand on his chest and it was hard. And his eyes, um, I don't know if I'm getting a little too graphic for you. I wanted to tell you exactly what it did for me um, as a parent. 
Um, his eyes were slightly open and I knew at that point he was gone and um, he had overdosed and I knew he had a problem with self-medicating himself um, because he just wasn't right and he kept telling me how he just wasn't happy with a lot of things that um, with his life where he was going with his life. He didn't know what to do. He wanted to do something different. And I just kept trying to talk to him about different things, but he was in a different mindset. When you're depressed, you actually, depending on how deep you are in depression, it's, you really, really, really need to, you really need to find help. You really need sometimes medical help where they may need to even medicate you to actually get you out of a certain level of, of depression that you are, because if not, it is so hard to get out of that, that you feel you can't get out of it. And the only way out is, uh, is suicide. I want to say, first of all, I'm so, so sorry for your loss. Thank you. And thank you so much for opening up and sharing that. I think when it comes to loss, especially when it's lost by suicide, people don't want to talk about it. We're afraid to talk about it. There's such mm -hmm. a stigma around it. And if we don't have these honest, open conversations, real change won't happen. People won't realize that we need to start validating and supporting when it comes to mental health and seeking help is not only okay, but necessary at many times. And it doesn't make you weak. And when you were talking earlier, you mentioned how it's something about men in that age where they don't seek for help, seek help. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is rooted in the culture that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I remember uh, myself being younger um, with um, like, I would see boys in my, you know, younger, um, in school age, um, you know, elementary and, 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 and middle school or high school where boys weren't allowed to, to show emotions. They were like, Oh no, toughen up. Come on. You're a boy. Come on, get up. No crying. And they weren't allowed to show emotion as much as they were hurting or whatever they were going through. And, and, um, I never understood that. Like I, I never understood that as a child, I guess, only because like if I was hurting because I lost a parent, why weren't they allowed to hurt as well? Like they were supposed to hurt differently and be macho about it. Um, and I think because of that, it led to them having mental illness issues because they didn't know how to show how they were feeling. They kept it all inside until they got older and now they don't know how to show their feelings and now they're self-medicating or now they're doing things that are not really helping them at all, you know, and it's really damaging them a lot, you know, and it goes for women as well. You know, some women are like that too, where they tend to not really show their emotions because they have to be strong for their children. And that's how I kind of felt when my parents passed. Um, I had to be strong for them and I had felt like I had to be there for them. And everyone's telling me, well, you know, you have to be there for your children. And, and I was like, yes, yes, you know, so I felt like I couldn't mourn. 
I couldn't mourn my parents because I had to be there for my kids and my kids love my parents. They were, my parents were everything to my children, everything. They love my mother and my father. They were, my great, my parents were amazing grandparents. And when they lost them, they lost something really big. Like they mourned for months and years after. And especially my son, Justin, who passed, um, he really, really mourned the most because he was the most closer to them. He was there more than the other kids were, you know, and um, I never mourned like I should have. Um, so I kind of understand that process. And because of that, um, that's when I decided after my son passed, um, I decided to become a mental health first aider. And on top of that, I also took a class for bereavement and um, grief counseling as well. Um, something that I needed um, to do for myself and to do for other people as well, because um, people don't know how to grieve sometimes, you know, and I didn't um, when it came to my parents, because I had to take care of my children and be there for them. I didn't know how to grieve at that time. I'm like, okay, so I can't do this right now. I have to be strong for my children. So that'll come later. I'll take care of me later, um, which was a big mistake because I, when my son passed, I was not ready to do anything for anyone, not even my own children. And I wanted to be there for them, but I couldn't. I could not. I was not there mentally, physically. I was not the person that I was then. So I love that you took something so painful and tragic and you turned it into a beautiful way to not only help yourself, but help others. No one teaches us how to grieve. No, no one teaches us how to let go of a loss and hold on to the love and that it's okay to let go of the loss and hold on to the love. The love doesn't disappear. Grieving is so complicated, so complex, so painful it can take forever. You can grieve for a lifetime. No one tells you that. They just tell you that you have to be okay and continue on. And how do you continue on when such a big force in your life is gone? It's a part of your heart. It's a part of your heart that's actually missing that you can't replace. When someone is literally like gone and they were in your life, it, there's a part, they have a piece of your heart that's no longer there. There's no replacing that. They, you, you can't replace that. So you're going to mourn. And, and when you hear a certain song that, you, that reminds you of them or a certain smell, like you could be walking somewhere and you just get a whiff of something like, oh, that reminded me of someone or a TV show or you see someone that looks like them or acts like them. And it just, it just brings back memories and, and, and then you start that mourning process again and you start missing them again. And it could be, like you said, years go by. My dad died in 2000, like early 2000. And I still was over 20, almost 20 something years. And I saw a little old man at Home Depot and it just, I wanted to cry because I'm like, oh my God, my dad. <laughs> and I was a daddy's girl, you know, and I'm like, oh, my, my dad, I, I miss my dad, you know, and it hurts because he was a big part of my life, a very big part of my life. I love the way you explain that because no one talks about how these memories can trigger you that a sound, a smell, 
-hmm. seeing someone that reminds you of them, it can be so triggering for me when I lost my grandfather at the end of 2018, he was my best friend. We FaceTimed three times a day, just have coffee to have dinner, like my all time best friend. And my younger brother likes to wear the same gel that my grandfather wore. So he always smells like my grandfather. And every time I go near my brother, I want to cry. No one tells you that the scent that will remind you and that it's okay, that it's okay if it reminds you, it's okay to cry. It's okay to miss them and to grieve and to feel. And I love that you decided to take that course and become a grief counselor to be able to help others because it's something that is so needed. Yes, it definitely is. Um, That with the mental health first aider and with the mental health first aider, what we do is that we um, are, we are trained to recognize um, issues with um, people having mental health issues, um, maybe suffering with depression, PTSD, and struggling with um, um, people that are like self-medicating um, because of that. And, um, and a lot of people, I'm not saying everybody that's depressed self-medicates. Um, I'm depressed. I don't self-medicate. Um, I do take medication, but through, you know, my psychiatrist, but I am medicated though, you know, um, but a lot of people don't see a doctor and they do self-medicate because they want some type of relief. Um, but I think talking as well is so, so important. Just just having someone to talk to and just hear you out, just listen, just be a listener. You don't have to say anything back. Just listen to a person, just let them get it out. It's so important sometimes because that's all they want. They just wanna get it out because it's been held up so long for so long, for so, so for so many people, because they haven't been able for so many years probably to to talk to people or for people to say, oh, get over it, oh, you'll be fine, oh, time time will heal, oh, you'll be okay, and you know, in in a little bit, you know, you'll be all right or what have you. Those those words don't work. Invalidation. And they don't heal anybody at all, and and if anything, it damages people because you feel like, wow, should I be over this now? And then they start thinking that something's wrong with them because they're not over it. Exactly. We teach people that it's not okay to cry, that it's not okay to feel. A dear friend of mine, Alessandra Torresani, always says, feel your feels. Mm -hmm. Whenever she hosts these amazing clubhouse rooms and whenever someone's starting to feel upset, she's like, it's okay to feel your feels. And I love that statement because no one tells you that when you're younger, like you said, it's always suck it up. You're going to get through this. It's fine. Get over it. And Mm -hmm. as you get older, people expect you to just get over it. And you open up, you talk, people are like, well, think positive. Everything's fine. People have it worse. They invalidate you. And then, like you said about medication, a lot of people self-medicate. A lot of that comes from the stigma of mental um, medication for mental illness. A lot of that comes from the cost and the lack of accessibility and affordability of medication and of seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist in general. Yes. Yes. It is so expensive to see a psychiatrist. It is so expensive. (laughs) 
<laughs> if I did not have insurance, I assure you, I would not be able to afford a psychiatrist right now. I actually see a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist. So psychiatrist helps with the medication and a psychotherapist talks. Um, and then sometimes I'm like, okay, who do I see today? <laughs> you know, who can I afford to see this month? You know, and it's really rough. And I think that is just so awful. And that's another reason why I became a mental health first aider because I'm like, I just want people to talk. I want people to get their feelings out. I want people to be able to, to be able to express themselves and, and, and get it out and, and, and let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And that's why I came up with my website, um, Hope My Smile Make You Smile. And um, it's a mental health, mental illness um, website where, you know, I post um, different um, resources on there as well. And um, I have like an appointment grid where you can just go on there, make an appointment to talk about anything, depression, um, suicide. If you just want to just talk, we can do that. We can just, we can just talk. It's just, there's nothing, you know, um, and that's sometimes what people just want to do. Um, one of my youngest clients is 14, Wow, 14. And she's struggling because she feels that, and she's a beautiful girl. She's gorgeous. And she feels that she's fat and, and, and not attractive. And I don't get it. Like, there's so much going on with people in their mindsets and how they're feeling and insecurities and 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 people not understanding them and how they try to express themselves is just um is it's just so overwhelming for them and exactly. and if you if you get to talk to them while they're young and 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 try to help them and at least listen um to me, I think that's a big thing. I mean, she sends me so many messages like, thank you so much for talking to me. Oh my God, you helped me so much. And and she, I got an A on my test. And, you know, things like that is to me, it just brings me so much happiness to know that I was able to help her out that day because she was having a really bad day, you know? And, um, and it just brings my heart joy to know that I helped someone. And that's all I want to do. I want to help. I'm just here to help. And um, it's funny, my mother named me Sandra. And when I looked up that name, Sandra, it's, it's called, um, it, it means helper of man. I love that. <laughs> so I guess, I guess I'm supposed to help people. Um, and that's what I want to do. I want to help. And ever since my son passed, I don't want anyone, anyone to ever go through something like that. That is the worst thing for a parent for a sibling, my daughter was with me and my daughter is struggling and she also sees a therapist and um, she's 28 and she has a son as well. And she talks to her son so much. She makes sure she listens to him and she is so close to him now more than ever um, because she doesn't wanna lose that connection, you know? And she doesn't want her son going down a route that um, it's not okay. You know, you can cry or you can, you got emotion, show it, tell me, you know, let's talk, you know. 
Um, and I love that about her. And my older daughter has two children as well. And she talks to her kids all the time and she lets them express themselves, both, you know, my grandson and my granddaughter, you know, and I just think that's very important for children to express themselves, no matter whether a boy or girl or, you know, um, they're just going through a tough time, especially now with COVID and they're not being able to interact with their friends, who are they going to talk to? You know? Exactly. It is so important that we start these conversations young. And in schools, they don't teach you to have emotions, have feelings. They don't teach you how to express yourself. When you express yourself, you're usually made fun of by the other kids. Right. The teachers don't always know how to handle that situation and how to help kids express themselves. And there's such an amazing opportunity within the school system. If we could take art classes and music classes and all those electives, the special classes that we give to kids, and we said, let's not grade kids on their ability to learn to play the recorder or grade them on their ability to draw a penguin. Let's grade them on their ability to draw something that makes them happy and express their emotions. Let's teach them how to express themselves in other ways because Kids don't always have the words. Adults don't always have the words. Sometimes we don't have the words to express ourselves, but there are other ways and you're allowed to feel and they don't do that. So I love that your kids are going out of their way to make sure their kids know that it's okay to feel. Yeah. If you, if they don't, and you know, some of these children, like you said, they don't know how to express themselves and they become bullies. Yes. And sometimes these bullies, it really isn't their fault. They just don't know how to express themselves. So they express themselves in a way that they know how is to control someone else or to be mean because that's the only way they know how to express themselves. And it's sad. It's sad to hear that. And they're like, oh, bullying's not allowed. Bullying's bad. Yeah, it is. But did anyone ever think to talk to the kid to find out why he's acting like that? <laughs> you know, that could be a reason as well. That's a very, that's a big problem. That's a very big problem. You know, they shouldn't just think he's just a troublemaker or he's just, you know, a bad kid. It's just maybe he's going through something as well. Exactly. I love that you bring that up because when it comes to bullying, a lot of kids use bullying and they become mean to protect themselves from feeling and they're hurt hurt people hurt people Mm -hmm. people can also help people and use their pain to help others like you're doing but a lot of people who are hurting use to hold on to that pain and they push it down and they lash out and they don't mean to and if we taught kids how to feel that it was okay to feel and when we see them acting out we had a conversation with them. We opened these conversations. So many lives would be so different. We could change the trajectory of so many lives. Yes, I agree with that. Definitely agree with that. Definitely. Um, it just takes people to do that. Um, people that care and people that want to actually change the trajectory, like you said. Um, but it takes more than just one person to do that. You know, it takes all of us to do that. Um, and all of us to kind of get together to, to do this. And, um, unfortunately there's a lot of people out there that just really don't care. 
and um and it's sad just just thinking about it you know and i feel like i have to pick up the load for for a lot of people and i don't mind it because that's what i'm here to do is just to help people um and just be there for for the ones that need the help but when you have all that weight on your shoulders of having to help others how do you cope through that? Because it can be so overwhelming. I know for me, when I get that feeling, I break down a lot. Yeah. How do you cope through it? Yeah, I break it up. <laughs> I give myself days off where I'm not on the internet. I'm not on my iPad. I'm not on anything. Um, I break it up. I do certain days um, where I, um, I, my appointments, you know, I let people set their own appointments on my website and um i do tuesday wednesdays and thursdays and mondays and fridays i don't do any appointments and saturdays and sundays i don't either but on saturdays and sundays mondays and mondays and fridays i usually do um work where i'm updating my things on my website and looking for information and studying and trying to look up um certain certifications and things like that and saturdays and sundays i try to stay away from the computer the ipad and just try to just think about me and self and just do me just you know hang out with my kids and my grandkids and just enjoy myself and just do like a self-love day <laughs> So I, I break it up. I, I don't do everything uh, seven days a week. And um, and I had to kind of do that the hard way because I was doing it like all the time, especially when I started um, and started getting my website up and, and things like that. I was hitting it hard seven days a week um, from morning to like 10 or 11 at night. My husband would come in like, uh, you come into bed? <laughs> I'm like, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. I'm almost done. And it just, I was just so excited um, about my plans and my mission. You know, like it was, I was just so into it. Like I just had this, this drive, like I got to do this. I got to do this. And, and then I started to feel like, okay, a little burnout, like, okay, I got to slow down. I got to think about me and my mental health and my mental illness and, and I started, you know, talking to my psychotherapist, which is amazing. And he said, okay, well, you know, I have to pull back some time. So maybe you should start thinking about certain ways to scheduling yourself and giving yourself certain times of days, or maybe in a day, give yourself certain times of the hour, like in the morning or in the evenings where you just don't do anything or you just, just do you. And I'm like, oh, you know, I never about that <laughs> so that's what I do so from Tuesday to Thursdays that's when I'm talking to people and Monday and Fridays are my days where I just kind of do my scheduling and and doing my homework and trying to find out like if people have questions or anything that you know information that I I don't have on hand I will look up for them I'll get them all the information that they need and that's those are those days and Saturday and Sunday is just family I love that. It's so important to take a break. And yes. that's another thing that yes. people teach us that it's okay to take a break because if you don't, you will hit a point of mental exhaustion. Yes, you will. Because I, I started to do that. And, um, and um, in 2015, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I'm still struggling with that. I just had my, uh, my 19th surgery in February. And um, I actually go back for my post-op uh, tomorrow, um, have, still having complications. Um, but 
I feel okay though. Like I feel like this is this is my mission. This is my calling. I feel like this is what I need to do. No matter this isn't holding me back. Um, no matter what's going on in my life, I feel most happiest when I'm doing this. And when I'm doing this, I I feel like joy in my heart, like my heart's filled. And um, next month will be a year that my son has passed. And I, I'm feeling anxiety, you know, I'm starting to feel it. It's starting to come, you know, I feel like, okay, it's next month. And my kids are already starting to talk about getting together and we're gonna have something, um, you know, we're gonna get together, all of us. And, um, but I'm still feeling kind of like, oh God, that day is coming, a year's already here. And I'm not sure how to feel yet. Um, but I don't know if that, if, if I should be thinking like that. I mean, if it comes, it's here, then whatever I feel that day is when I'm going to feel and, and not put too much pressure on myself. See, we put too much pressure on ourselves, especially when people tell us to get over things or, you know, it's over a year now. So why are you still feeling like that? So we shouldn't be feeling, we shouldn't be letting anyone tell us how we should be feeling at any, any point in time. Like we talked about earlier, um, we should just let it go and just feel, just enjoy that day. As it comes. It's a really tough day. And there is a lot of anxiety on the anniversaries as they come up and it's okay to have that anxiety. It's okay to not know how to feel. Yes. It's okay if you feel a million different emotions leading up to it on that day. It's okay if you even feel joy in the middle of it, because I think that's something that we are terrified of mm-hmm. is feeling any happiness around that date. Because does that make us a bad person? Does that mean we don't miss them? And all the feelings are normal. Every feeling is normal and it's okay to feel. And it's okay to not feel if you're not ready to feel. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes um, some people will feel numb. You know, they feel so much that they feel numb. Um, and, um, and, and like you said, it's okay to feel like that. You know, it's our feelings, you know, everybody copes differently. And, um, all my children cope differently. I have four other living children and they all cope differently. My oldest son is 36 and he definitely copes differently than my daughters. Like he, um, actually doesn't even talk about my son at all. Like he doesn't really bring up his name. Um, he, he, they used to be so close and I don't push it. I don't, um, make him talk about it. I don't ask him how he's doing about it or anything. I just talk to him like it's just a regular day. And, um, I don't say too much about it when I do, I can see a change in his, his mood. And I don't want to do that to him because I feel like he's not ready or he's not there mentally to talk about it. Um, my daughters, they handle it differently. Um, my daughter, Adriana, who was with me, who actually saw him, my other daughters didn't, it was just her when she came, she was close to my son, very, very close. And, uh, she cries all the time, even till today. She cries. She just cries. And every time we talk about him, she cries. You know, and she starts to get teary eyed and, you know, so. 
I think that's a really important example about how everyone does grieve differently. And it's okay that everyone grieves differently. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people fear grief and don't know how to grieve because you don't know what model to follow because right. everyone looks for a model. Society, our whole lives tell us who we have to be and what we have to do. And when there's not a model to follow, what do we do? Right. And right. it's okay to grieve in whatever way right. you grieve. Right. Being a grief counselor and a bereavement counselor, I'm telling you, I really learned a lot. And I feel that anyone that has lost anyone, whether it's through suicide or just through natural death or through anything, I feel that they really should maybe talk to someone, a grief counselor, just to help them get through a certain process of that. And just, it'll just help you make, make you feel a little bit better. You know, of course, they're not going to take the feeling away that you just lost somebody because that's never going to go away. Um, But it just helps you just to talk about it you know, and, and, and just help you get the, just talking alone helps. And I, and I feel that with myself when I talk about it and that's how I was able to, um, talk about my son's death and, and, and be so descriptive about it, um, so easily because I, I, I feel better now talking about it, um, and, and the situation that he was going through because I accept the fact that he is gone now and that he was in medical, um, mental illness. Um, he was struggling with that a lot. And um, um, I used to blame myself a lot. I Then I got mad and then I had so many different feelings. Um, and then I just decided, you know, like, okay, after I became a mental health first aider and a, uh, a grief and bereavement counselor, um, I was like, okay, it, it wasn't my fault. You know, and then I started to think like, okay, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't me, you know? Um, and I felt a lot better. Um, a lot of people do think uh, when someone commits suicide, um, the question's like, oh, I could have done something better or I could have done something more or was it my fault? Or wow, I should have answered the phone. I didn't answer the phone, or I didn't. I didn't say this to them, or I should have went to go see them. Or they just beat themselves up, thinking that if they would have done something different. But realistically, they already have it set. My son was already thinking about ending his life before um, we, you know, before that day, anyways, and um, we just didn't know it. You are so right that when we lose someone to suicide, we question every choice we ever made and what could we have done differently. When I lost my uncle to suicide, that's what I did for months in a journal, just writing out the days leading up to it that day, that night. I pulled up to the house with the cops um, maybe five to 10 minutes afterwards. And I just kept thinking, what if I didn't get caught at that light? What if I answered the first phone call from my aunt? what if this, what if that? And I just kept rewriting the day and every different decision I could have made to change the outcome. And it's heartbreaking and it's terrifying. And it's something that's normal that we all do, but it's so important that we get to that point to realize it's not our fault. There is nothing we could have changed in our actions to prevent it in and not saying that we need to, we do need to validate and support. And yeah. I don't want people to take that as a, if I don't validate, I don't have to validate and support people. 
but you do have to validate and support people, but you can't, you can't change it. Right. If they already, if they are really struggling mentally, okay. Like my son was, they already have it in their heads that it's already planned. They just don't know when they're going to do it until they get to that point. And that point was that day, whether it was that Friday night, the 15th, or that Friday night, the 16th in May, that my son decided that he couldn't do it anymore. And when um, he, I talked to him on the phone, also on the 15th, and the message that he left me, or the message, you know, when we spoke, and then he sends me a text message and um, the text message didn't seem right, you know, and that's why I called him. And he sends me, and I still to today, I have not heard this song yet. He sends me a, a link to the song uh, Final Lullaby by The Weeknd. And I have still not heard that song, and I still don't want to hear that song because I think it's going to bring up emotions that I'm not ready to feel right now. And um, I think it's going to bring me over. <laughs> And um, I'm just not there yet, um, and it's and it's it's going on a year now, and I still have the um, the information, and I just can't I can't bring myself to to hear it. But um, it's they they already been thinking about it for some time. It's not something that they just go, oh, I'm gonna go ahead and do it right now. You know what I mean? They've been thinking about it for some time, some time, some time. And I know he has by the way he's been talking. And that's why every day I would talk to him two, three times a day, even more. My daughters, my daughter would call him. My son would call him. His friends would call him. You know, everybody was calling him. Um, he had a lot of support. He did. But he still somewhere, somehow, he just wasn't happy. He wasn't happy with himself and when someone's not happy with themselves they don't see a way out except for i want to end this because this is not doing anything for me and imagine my son was 31 imagine someone 12 or 13 going through something like this or even younger when i hear in the news someone younger eight, nine, 10 that are committing suicide, I'm thinking in my mind, like, what is going on? Like, what is actually going on in this child's mind that young to be thinking that they have to commit suicide? And it hurts my heart so bad that a child, a baby would have to go through something like that. And it just, it hurts so much that I literally, I don't even know this person, this baby. And I just cry, I just cry. And I just, it just takes my heart away. Just, it hurts just to know that, that they're suffering. It's heartbreaking. And I feel that every time I see it, it's, there aren't words, there aren't words. And that's why it's so important that we start normalizing the conversation on mental health, that we start normalizing emotions, allowing people to feel all emotions are valid. Emotions are normal. Teaching people that it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to cry. It's okay to go to to somebody for help. Going for help does not make you weak. It's so important that we change 
the narrative and get rid of the stigma that's leading up to so much tragedy and pain. And I just want to say thank you so, so much for all that you're doing. You are by far the strongest person I've ever had the pleasure of talking to. And I'm just amazed by you. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your story. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for inviting me to talk to you. This is really awesome. I really thank you for letting me share my story and, um, and the struggles that people are really going through out there.